0: So we're starting the bold series today, and I want to ask this question. What does it take to make a difference? What type of person, who does God promise to support? God is looking for ordinary people who are willing to step out in boldness and face risk and do his will. He's looking for ordinary people. We celebrate these people today who took bold steps, For the Lord, I think about William Wilberforce in England who fought to abolish slavery long before it was abolished in the United States. He fought passionately and saw slavery completely abolished before he died. I think about Anne Frank who helped hide Jews during World War II, protecting them from the Nazis who wanted to take them to concentration camps. These people didn't have superpowers. They were just willing to be bold and God used them to make a difference. Our word for the year has been bold. And I'm hearing stories of people who God has been challenging to step out in boldness. People are telling me, Pastor Ryan, God is leading me to go back to school and finish my degree. Uh, People have told me, I'm quitting my job and starting a business. We need more business leaders and entrepreneurs in the kingdom of God. People have told me, I used to be scared to invite people to church or tell people about Jesus, but God is giving me boldness, and I'm inviting people, and they're coming. So let me ask you this today, church. Do you want to be bold? Are you willing to be a risk taker and do whatever it takes? God wants to use you, so I want to preach this first message, and this is the title. A bold heart is a broken heart. A bold heart is a broken heart. Here's the truth. I will never make a difference in this world if I'm not bold. And I will never be bold for God unless I first have a broken heart. And when I talk about having a broken heart, I don't necessarily mean it in the romantic relationship sense. I'm not going to talk to you today about going to someone's yard and holding the boombox above your head and asking them to come back and give you another shot. But I'm talking about a spiritual brokenness It's a deep conviction that something is wrong. Something is wrong. It's not right. And over this series, we're going to be studying Nehemiah. How many of you have heard the story of Nehemiah? Anybody? We're going to go through Nehemiah, and we're going to talk about what he did and how what he did parallels what God is calling us to do. So let's start on Nehemiah chapter 1 today. I'm going to give you a little bit of background as we go through this first section. It says, Nehemiah chapter one, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah son of Hakaliah in late autumn in the month of Kislev. How many of you miss Kislev right now? (laughs) Mid-November through mid-December, man. I miss Kislev when it's 125 degrees in Arizona. I miss Kislev. Man, I'm ready for Kislev. (sighs) In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. So King Artaxerxes was the son of King Xerxes. And many of you have heard of him. If you've heard the story of the 300 Spartans who stood against the army of Persia, that was King Xerxes. This is his son, and that's who Nehemiah is serving. Some of you didn't know that the Bible is actually true. And these are (laughs) real historical accounts. He's in Susa. Susa is a real city. You could visit it today. I don't recommend it because it's in Iran, but you can visit it if you so desire. Susa is where the Code of Hammurabi was discovered by modern archaeologists, and and it's a real city where he's there, and he's serving the king as the king's cupbearer. And basically, in those days, the cupbearer was like the head of the Secret Service. And the king, you know, when he was ready for a drink, he would call out to the cupbearer, beer me, basically. And... (laughs) But the cupbearer would bring wine, and he would taste the wine to make sure that nobody was trying to poison the king. So he served the king. And here's what he says, verse 2. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. Notice this phrase. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the well for those, or sorry, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, he says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Okay, pause there. So, He's talking about the the Israelites, the Jews, the Hebrews, the Bible calls them. They're the people of God, and they are returning now. They're trickling back to Jerusalem. That was their homeland, the place that God had called them to and set apart for them. It was their home, but they had been scattered from their home. And the pattern that the Jewish people went through with God, like a petulant child, is that God would want to bless them. They would say, thank you. They would get comfortable. They would start sinning, and then God would have to punish them. They would they get punished. They'd repent of their sins. God would forgive them because he's endlessly merciful. He would bless them. They would get comfortable. They would sin again. God would punish them, and this went on and on for a long, long time. Until eventually God said, you need a real lesson here. So he scattered them from their homeland. Foreign armies invaded. They took them off as captives. They tore down the temple that King Solomon had built. They tore down the city walls and burned the gates. Now they're starting to return to their homeland. So imagine moving back into a city that had been destroyed and laid to waste. And so... Nehemiah asks about the people, his, his people who are going back home to Jerusalem. How are they doing? How's it going? And Han and I, the guys who are coming from the region, they said, it's not going well. The people are troubled and disgraced. And he talks about the walls. And you have to understand, in this day, walls were an important status symbol for every society. The walls of a city provided security. And every legitimate city had walls to protect them from invaders and raiders and people who would do them harm. So, not having walls, it was a disgrace and you were in real trouble. Okay, so imagine in your life if you lost your job and your car got repossessed and your home was getting foreclosed on and creditors are calling and you can't put food on the table and your kids are looking at you like, Mom, Dad. What's going on? You would say I'm in trouble, I feel vulnerable, I'm disgraced. This is how the people of Israel felt their hometown, their city of Jerusalem had no walls. And so Nehemiah he hears this and what we see is that he's broken-hearted. He mourns. And it's not really about the walls. He's not that interested in walls. He's mourning for the people. The condition of the Israelites, God, God's chosen people, they've been scattered, they're in trouble, they have brought disgrace, listen, on themselves, and you know that sin always brings trouble and disgrace, don't you? Now, you need to understand that this bold campaign, when we talk about building and expanding, it's not about building walls, That's right. and hopefully a roof, too, depending on how generous everybody is. <laughs> But it's about people who are far from God. People whose sins have brought trouble and disgrace on themselves. The word disgrace, think about it. It literally means no grace. And this burden, Nehemiah, he sat down, he wept, he mourned, he was broken hearted. He said, this isn't right this is a tragedy, and I want you to notice this first point. A broken heart can only happen when we stop. A broken heart can only happen when we stop. We have to stop the busyness of life. We get so caught up just focusing on paying bills and pursuing promotions and entertaining ourselves and politics. Uh, we fight with people on the Internet about things that don't matter. We get so focused on ourselves And what we want and what's important to us, and we can easily lose sight of the big picture and what really matters. All this stuff that we get excited about in life, promotions, getting a new car, getting a bigger home, none of it matters in God's sight in relation to people. Stuff will all fade away. People have eternal souls that will live on forever. I'm grateful for God's blessing in our our lives physically, but it doesn't matter compared to the people that God loves so much. And then I want you to think about this. The life that we spend so much time thinking about is nothing compared to eternity that is going to stretch on forever. Right now, here we are in August 2019, and we're so caught up in what's going on in our lives. But do you know that many of the things, in fact, I would say this, every single thing you're worried about today will not matter 10,000 years from now. In 10,000 years, you will be just at the beginning of eternity. What happens in this life, the Bible says your life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. But you will be alive. You will spend eternity somewhere. Right. And I need you to listen to me, what I'm about to say. There are about 7.7 billion people on the earth. And researchers say that about 2.2 billion of them call themselves Christians. Christians. Now, we know that, unfortunately, not everybody who identifies as a Christian is a real born-again follower of Jesus. Maybe they were just born into a Christian family, or they get asked on a survey, what are you? And they say, I don't know, Christian. But let's just be really optimistic, right? Let's just be, you know, really hopeful and say, all of them are saved and going to heaven and will be with Jesus forever. That means that only about one out of four people are saved. Now, statisticians will tell you that about every single day on the planet Earth, 150,000 people die. That means that 6,300 people die every hour. 105 people die every minute. So if only one out of four people are saved... That means that while I'm preaching this sermon, 2,700 people approximately will stop breathing and begin what will be an eternity in hell separated from God with no hope for rescue. It's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. So when you're heartbroken, what do you do? The only answer is you turn to God. Yes. You have to go to God when you're heartbroken because otherwise you would be crushed by despair. And we're not meant to carry this burden on our own. We're meant to take this burden to God. We have to lift it up to Him or else it will take us down to despair. And that's what we see with Nehemiah. Verse five Then I said, Oh Lord, God of heaven, see, he's praying to God, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel, these people who are in trouble. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned, we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. So I want you to notice this next point. This is important. A broken heart brings us to God. A broken heart brings us to God. If you find yourself broken, you can't just sit down and mourn about it. You're not meant to be crushed by that burden. You see what happened with Nehemiah is he took his brokenheartedness to God. He turned to God. He prayed, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, you're a loving God. He took his needs to God in prayer. He praised God. He declared the truth about God. His love is unfailing. He confessed his own sin. He took responsibility for his part in the problem. What you see about people who make a difference is There are people who first identify a problem. Nehemiah, he identified a problem. The people were in trouble and they were disgraced. We identify a problem. Those of us living today in Arizona, we identify that we live in a world filled with people who are far from God, who need to be rescued. Their own sins have brought them down. They are facing trouble and disgrace. Um, So what are we going to do? We have to bring them the good news that there is a way to be saved. His name is Jesus. And when you turn to him, you can have salvation, right? And so we've been doing that as a church. That's why we have been growing and filling up. So many lost people have placed their faith in Jesus. Last week we saw 27 people get baptized. And so we're running out of room, right? We're running out of room. We turn to God and we see that Nehemiah praises God. He declares the truth. He's a great God, isn't he? He's a loving God who wants everyone to be saved. And the way that Nehemiah confessed his own sin and took responsibility for his part in the problem, I think that there's a certain degree to which we all have to confess to God that we we haven't always been as heartbroken as we should be about all the lost people who are in this world far from God. We see the problem that there are so many people who are on the pathway to destruction And it burdens us. It breaks our heart. We take this brokenheartedness to God. And we're also taking responsibility for our role. God, as your people, we care about lost people. Because you care about lost people. We want to make a difference. We want you to use us to rescue them. In verse 8, he says, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me. Now he's quoting God. He's quoting God. Please remember what you said. If you are unfaithful to me, God said, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Think about that. We take our sins to God. We take our needs to God. We take our problems to God. As Christians, we take our burden to God to reach the lost, and he reminds us of the truth. Sin has led you to destruction, but even if you are scattered to the ends of the earth, you can say it this way, even if you are as far from God as you can possibly get, if you return to me, I'll bring you close to me. I'll bring you home. I'll bring you into my family. I'll lead you into life. So we see that a broken heart brings us to God, and then God brings hope to the brokenhearted. We bring our broken needs, we bring our broken hearts to God, our needs to God. He brings hope to the brokenhearted. So today, You might be heartbroken about lost people in this world around us. You might be thinking about your family members who are far from God, and it breaks your heart. You might be thinking about your coworkers, and you know they're far from God. They come in laughing after the weekend about how they had a great time partying, but you know that all of that is just covering up the emptiness and hurt that's in their hearts because they're far from God, and they don't know what true life looks like. You might be heartbroken thinking about your neighbors who are far from God. But God, the Lord, is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. So if you're brokenhearted for the lost, you need to know that the Lord is close to you in your state of brokenheartedness. The fact that you're brokenhearted for the lost It shows that you are close to the Lord because he is brokenhearted for the lost. And you need to think about this. When you're near the Lord, there is always hope. When Jesus is in your boat, it doesn't matter how big the storm gets. There's hope because you're with the one who commands the winds and the waves. There is hope, you need to understand, for the lost people who you're heartbroken for. There is hope for all the lost people that you're heartbroken for. And you know why there's hope? Because you're close to them. Yes. Wow. It's because you're in their life. Oh, you thought you got that job by accident? You thought you were just in the right place at the right time and your skills matched the requirement. No, 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 no. God brought you to that job because he knew that there would be people there who are brokenhearted and needed to know the truth. You thought you were part of your family by accident? (laughs) Just random chance of genetics brought you to that crazy family? No. See, God knew that one day he was going to use you to bring the truth to your family and change your family tree for generations to come. You thought you were in your neighborhood by accident? You just happened to be looking for a new home? The right time? No, 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 no. See, God knew there would be people living in your community, and he wanted you in close proximity to them so that you would have the opportunity to bring hope to them. See, all the lost people you're brokenhearted for have a lifeline to salvation. It's you. It's you. God wants to use you to lead them to hope. He wants to use you to bring hope to the lost. And as our church continues to grow, we're going to become an even brighter beacon of hope to people who are trapped in the darkness. Amen. Amen. Verse 10, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Okay, so you need to see the progression of what just took place here. Nehemiah, he was brokenhearted, and now he's coming up with a plan. He was brokenhearted. He was mourning and he took this prayer of mourning to God. He prayed to God and God reminded him of the truth and the truth of God's unfailing love brought him hope and hope led him to boldness. I want you to see this. Hope brings us boldness. Hope brings us boldness. And now he's crafting a plan. There's a problem. He was mourning, but now he's coming up with a daring plan to rescue God's people. See, he knows he can't help them on his own. He doesn't have the resources or the power to do anything about these walls that have been torn down. But he knows someone who does. The king, the king who he happens to be in close proximity to on a daily basis has all the power in the world and he's going to go to the king and ask the king for help. That might seem like a smart thing to do, but you need to know that in this day, you can't just go up to the king and make your problems his problems. It was one of those things like don't speak unless spoken to. Just bringing up his needs to the king could have led to his execution, and so he starts praying to God, Lord, I'm coming up with a bold plan. It's risky. It's dangerous, but I don't care because Because someone has to do something. So God, hear my prayer. Grant me success. Put it in the king's heart to be kind to me. So I'm going to do something. I am going to to rebuild the walls. It's going to be hard, but someone's got to do something. And there are a lot of people who are far from God today. And it's heartbreaking, isn't it? But we have hope. Because Jesus is building his church. And he's building this church. And he wants to use you to reach lost people. But guess what? Having those conversations are hard. It's scary. So you've got to pray and ask God for boldness. This next season of our church, building and expanding. And it's hard, it's scary. But we're at this point where we say, no one else is coming. We've got to do something. And so we pray to God, give me success, God. Hear my prayer. Enable me to do something for someone. We bring the good news to the lost. And here's the thing. We might seem outnumbered, but in fact, we are not. See, there was a time in the beginning of the church When Jesus told his disciples to go and reach the lost and these fishermen and poor teenagers and young men, they were under resourced and they had no influence in society. They had no power. They looked incredibly outnumbered, but they were not because Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that will enable you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, they were outnumbered and unequipped, but they were in close proximity to the king, the one who had all of the power in the world, the one who had all the resources in the world. And he says, I'm going to make my power your power. And my power is going to enable you to do what I'm calling you to do. And today the Lord is saying, You might look outnumbered, but I'm making my power, the Holy Spirit, your power. You fight with the armor of God and with the sword of the Spirit. There is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. The same power that raised Christ from the grave is in you. And guess what? The ends of the earth include Mesa and Awatuki and Gilbert and Chandler and Queen Creek and Tempe and all of the Phoenix Valley. Because of all that, That's why we say our verse for the year, 2 Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, because of all that, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. It's hard and it's scary, but we're going to do it anyways. (laughs) Because we have so much hope through Jesus, and he's already equipped us with what we need to carry out this task that he's called us to. So we have boldness. Do you see how a bold heart begins with a broken heart? This is how you were first saved. A broken heart can only happen when we stop. We have to stop running from God. We have to stop trying everything else to fill the void in our souls. A broken heart brings us to God. We stopped searching for answers elsewhere, and we started looking to the only one who has the thing that we're looking for. We started going to the Lord and asking questions to the Lord and maybe going to church and exploring faith. And and we find that the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, his son, is the only way, the truth, and the life. And that brings hope to our broken hearts. We found good news. Sin can be forgiven. You can have everlasting life. You can be reconciled to God the Father no matter how far away you've been scattered from him. You can be adopted into his family. That brings us hope. And because we have so much hope, we're very bold. We receive the spirit of God when we place our faith in Jesus. We're already victorious. You realize we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Victory's already been secured through Jesus. What's it like to fight when you know you're already victorious? You might have some hairy moments, but you know, in the end, I'm going to win. Because we already win through Jesus. You see how a bold heart starts as a broken heart? Now, when you first became a Christian, the way that it goes for most of us is it started with God forgiving your sins and healing you spiritually and delivering you from a sinful lifestyle and changing your desires. But then what you find is that as you grow and your desires change to become God's desires, it stops being just about you. You realize that new life isn't just God save me, God help me, bless me, but he wants to use me to rescue the billions of people who are lost. That's a mindset shift that takes place. It's not just about me. It's about people who need what I've received. So other than Jesus, I would say the person in the New Testament church who was the most heartbroken for the lost was probably the Apostle Paul. You think about his life. He started as an enemy of Christ. He was converted, became a Christian, and then became the greatest advocate for Jesus. And this is a man who embodied the principle, whatever it takes. I mean, he went wherever God called him. And he suffered. He was beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned. He was whipped and ultimately beheaded for his faith in Christ. And oftentimes, we feel so bad for ourselves because someone made fun of us for being Christians. It could be a lot worse, yes. right? But I think about Romans 9, where Paul said this, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Do you realize what he's saying there? He's saying, if I could, I would go to hell for them if that would enable them to be saved. The thing is, you can't be cut off from Christ, because Christ was already cut off from the Father for you. And the good news is you don't have to take their place, but you are called to bring the gospel to the place where they are and help them find the same new life in Jesus that we enjoy today. This brokenheartedness that Paul had is what gave him the boldness to do whatever it took to be beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and imprisoned. It was a brokenheartedness that led to a bold heart. You see, God is looking for ordinary people who will do whatever it takes, who will step out in boldness to do what God is calling them to do. I think about what happened on September 11th, 2001. The morning of September 11th, I remember I was getting ready for school as a junior in high school. (laughs) Some of you feel really old right now. It's okay. I remember watching what happened and being shocked and going to school, being in geology class and watching things unfold. And you know what the worst part of that moment that day was? the worst part of that day, it's it's definitely hard to talk about, but it was when people started leaping from the top of that building to certain death. People who were trapped by the flames, they knew that nobody was going to get to them. There was no hope. And so they willingly jumped To their death. Do you realize how closely that parallels the plight of lost people in our world today? Who are closer to the fires of hell than they even realize. They're far from God. They think there is no hope. They're willing to plunge headfirst into destruction, just looking for something to fill the void in their lives and to numb the pain. When we think about lost people and the condition that they're in, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do I really care? Do I really care? And if not, then why? It's a legitimate question you should ask yourself. If not, why? There are actual reasons why a person might not care. One would be if someone is not a true follower of Christ. In other words, maybe they just are kind of into Christianity or they identify as a Christian, but they haven't yet actually surrendered their life to Jesus and trusted him for salvation. Because if you haven't done that yet, you're not going to be, at this point, worrying about other lost people. just makes sense. Another reason you might not care is if you've just been so busy so busy and caught up in the day-to-day of life, just focused on yourself. Maybe you are a Christian, but you're distant from God. And that would be a reason why you wouldn't care about the things that God cares about if you're far from God. And then, I don't understand this, but the truth is there are some Christians, they just don't care. They go to church on Sunday, and they just want to eat a meal from the spiritual buffet. And any time a church starts talking about doing something that's hard or scary or challenging, they just leave. Maybe talking about building a building and they walk out. I'm not coming back here. See, all the church wants is my money. And really, it's that all they want is easy. Most of us do care a lot, especially when we stop and think about it, people who are far from God, and our prayer is, man, we want to care even more. I thought this morning about how a couple of weeks ago, I was flying back to Arizona from a trip. I went on to speak at another church, and on the way home, I got to sit in the exit row, which I was super grateful for, because... I'm a little taller than average, and it's a lot more comfortable to have that extra leg room. And before the plane took off, you know, the airline stewardess comes along and she says, Sir, in case of an emergency, are you willing to assist other passengers? So I did what we all do I took my earbud out for two seconds and said, Yep. But for whatever reason, I think maybe God knew I was going to preach this message. I started to think about this like, would I really? (laughs) Let's say this thing goes down. We're floating on the ocean. I'm right here by the door. Maybe it's just natural selection, you know? If I popped that door open and the little raft slide thing inflated, would I actually stay in a smoky, burning airplane with hundreds of crazy people screaming and crawling all over each other? Or would I peace out? (laughs) And I'll be honest, it would be tempting, right? But then I started thinking about the headlines, Lone survivor. (laughs) Pastor Ryan Visconti. (laughs) Quote, sometimes you got to look out for number one. (laughs) And I just thought, man, you know what? There are a lot of Christians in churches today, and they're only there for the benefits. They're only there for the extra leg room and the access to salvation. But if it really came down to it, would they be willing to face adversity and challenge and risk it all to save other people who were in desperate straits? I would say we are those people. We are willing to be used by God to do what he's called us to do, even at our own peril, because we know there is no higher purpose. There is no greater cause than for my life to be used to rescue even one person who is far from God. So if we find ourselves in the place where we say, man, I don't know if I've really cared, we have to pray this prayer, God. Break my heart for what breaks yours. We want to care about what you care about. If lost people break your heart, we want lost people to break our heart. This church exists so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. We know the answer for hurting and broken Troubled, disgraced people is Jesus. He's the one who brings healing and hope and peace and favor by his grace. Jesus transforms our hearts, our broken hearts for lost people into bold hearts. And we are passionate to rescue the lost and that passion launches us out from our comfort zone and supersedes our own personal preferences and comfort and desire for convenience because lost people, are important to God. He wants to use us to step out in boldness and rescue lost people and build his kingdom. That's our bold plan. Remember Nehemiah verse 11. He said, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success. We all want to be successful in whatever we do in life. Do you want to be successful? I can tell you how to guarantee you will be successful. Honor God by caring about what he cares about. Watch him give you more influence and followers, not so that you can be famous, but so that you can tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. Watch him give you more finances, not so that you can just have more stuff, but so that you can be an even greater blessing and become more generous to fund the rescue mission of Jesus. Watch him give you power, not so that you can just get your way, but so that you can lead people to the way, the only way to be saved. See, I have confidence that we'll be successful as we build and as we expand because our mission as a church aligns with the mission of Jesus Christ. You realize a broken heart for us caused Jesus to leave heaven. He came to seek and save the lost. And then in Matthew 9, we read about, say, as Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness watch this, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You could say they were troubled and disgraced. Before we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that's how all of us were. We were troubled And disgrace. We were lost like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is called the good shepherd. He came to provide the peace that we all needed. Jesus saw us like he saw those people lost and troubled, disgraced like sheep without a shepherd. And he decided to do something about it. He said, I am going to launch the greatest rescue mission in the history of the universe. I am going to become like them. I will die for them. I will conquer death on their behalf. I will give them life. I will bring them home. And when we accept Jesus as Lord, we receive salvation and we are able to return home to the Father. We do find life. We're blessed. We're adopted into God's family. And I just need to ask today, is there anyone who is here today, anyone who is in Tuki today, anyone who's watching online right now who would say, I'm realizing in this moment that I am far from God. And if you're having that realization, you realize it's the Holy Spirit of God who is enabling you to see that today. He's opening your eyes to the truth that you're far from God, and it's your choice whether or not you will turn from sin and turn to God and stop trusting yourself and start trusting God. Stop looking for answers everywhere else and accept Jesus as the answer. It's up to you. It's your choice today. And I want to invite you to take that step of faith and put your faith, put your trust in Jesus to save you. The Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says this if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm gonna ask everyone to bow their heads today and just close their eyes. Have a moment between you and God. I'm gonna invite you, if you're ready to accept Jesus as Lord today and you wanna be saved, to pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord, I need you to save me. I have sins, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose again so I could have eternal life. I wanna follow you from this day forward. I trust you to lead me. I love you because you first loved me. In Jesus' name, Amen.